0: Controversial and defined, Boris Johnson has resigned. The British Prime Minister clung to power but failed to retain support from within his own party. Who will replace him and what kind of leadership does the UK need at this time? I'm Imran Khan and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast where we dissect, analyse and help define major global stories. Let's bring in our guest from London, Joanne Nadler. She's a political commentator and a former media advisor for the Conservative Party. From Eastbourne, Tim Bale, a professor of politics at Queen Mary University of London, and also in London, Matthew Goodwin, he's a professor of politics at the University of Kent. A warm welcome to you all. Let's begin in London with Joanne Nadler. Is this the end of one of the most chaotic premierships of recent history?
1: Well, approaching that question absolutely technically, it isn't quite the end because we still don't know, sitting here this afternoon, uh, quite exactly what Mr Johnson's plans are for the next two or three months. We know he intends to stay on effectively in a caretaker role in his own position as PM, but we don't really know whether the Conservative Party is going to move against him. And try and uh, bring about um, a quicker demise, a quicker exit from Downing Street. Uh, but as to your point about a chaotic period, uh, I think this has been an exceptionally chaotic period. Uh, unfortunately, having followed the fortunes of the Conservative Party for very many years now, it does have a—it uh, it has been prone to these periods of self-reflection and uh, uh, and throwing leaders to one side, and and then having rather fractious leadership election processes, uh, but I have to say, having really observed very many of them, certainly over the last uh, 30 years, this this one is right up there as being one of the uh, most remarkable, and we haven't even got anywhere near the close of it yet.
0: Uh, Tim Bailey in Eastbourne, two things seem to be happening simultaneously here. One is Boris Johnson buying himself some time by taking on this idea that he could be the caretaker prime minister, perhaps even hoping that he might be able to come up with a solution. And let's face it, he's done things like this before, where he's come out of sticky situations and come out on top. But there are people within his own party that are gunning for his blood today. Which one do you think will prevail?
2: Well, I don't think Boris Johnson has got any chance of um, staying on after some kind of caretaker period. Uh, I think it's probably more likely than not that he'll be able to um, stay as a caretaker. I I think, though, it's understandable that uh, some people in his party want him to go now. Um, I think the events of the last 48 hours have caused an awful lot of bad blood. The problem for them is exactly how they will be able to do that. He would have to be persuaded to go immediately. uh, And if he's not persuaded to resign immediately himself, it's very difficult to see exactly how they would be able to remove him. Uh, They would have to presumably um, elect some kind of interim leader uh, who the Queen could then appoint as Prime Minister. But that gets the Queen into politics, and I'm not sure that's something the Conservative Party wants to do. So I think if Boris Johnson wants to be caretaker Prime Minister for the next two or three months, then he's very likely to be able to fulfil that role. How well he'll fulfil fill it is another matter. It doesn't seem to be a natural fit for someone who you just want to, as it were, look after the shop while you're getting on with other stuff.
0: Uh, Matthew Goodwin, also in London. Um... Nearly 50, more than 50 MPs resigned. People were surprised in Britain that they were resigning from positions they'd actually never even heard of. Uh, This is, like, unprecedented. Um, Boris Johnson didn't seem to get the message within the first 24 hours of all of this when Rishi Sunak and uh, Sajid Javid resigned. He must have got the message. Now, but why is he then trying to stay in power, even if there's a caretaker government?
3: Yeah, well, as uh, an MP said to me this morning, I think one of the things that surprised everybody uh, over the last 48 hours is the extent to which once a, a sort of a chink opened up in Boris Johnson's armour, uh, you know, everybody flooded in to, to, to try and take advantage of it. And, and such was the sentiment within the Conservative Party, the sort of disillusionment and the despair, both at Johnson's leadership, also in their performance in the opinion polls recent by-election defeats lack of policy coherence that uh, a trickle became a flood and that flood became overwhelming so johnson you know even in his resignation speech today clearly feels as though you know he has been stitched up he has alluded to what he calls the herd instinct he feels that the game has been being rigged against him, and that many of the MPs really owe their positions to his selection victory in 2019. That's his particular view of the of the current situation. So I think actually, you know, his desire to stay as caretaker until we have a new prime minister. My instinct actually is that is genuine. I think Johnson does care care a great deal about the war in Ukraine. I think he cares a great deal about finishing um, some of the things he's he's started. Um, but this is the end. I mean, this is the end of his premiership, and it's been a very turbulent one. It's been a consequential one. It's been a divisive one. It's been an incompetent one. But it's also been really one that will go down in the history books as having a profound impact on the country and its future.
0: Uh, Joanne Nadler, I saw you nodding along in agreement there to what Matthew Goodwin was saying. Yes, it may well be the case that Boris Johnson does have certain issues that he does care about. The war in Ukraine was mentioned. Uh, But it was a chaotic premiership. He did uh, get into many political scraps many times. Mm -hmm. Many of those probably were handled badly. He seemed to be a person that, yes, may have cared about certain issues, but he was much more about the infighting and the scrapping and the political survival Uh, that went along with being prime minister rather than actually leading a country. That's what a lot of people have been saying to me today. Do you have any sympathy
1: with that argument? Well, I think when forced onto the back foot, as he so frequently has been, and often because of his own inability to, uh, if you like, confront some of the criticisms uh, in the first instance and, and, uh, and be straightforward... Uh, with uh, the rest of his party and with the general public. I think, yes, he has ended up looking like somebody who's been desperate to uh, uh, preserve his place simply uh, in, in terms of wanting to exercise political power, and that's not really a good look. Uh, I slightly take issue with with some of the commentary at the start of this piece, when uh, your reporter was summing up his, his personality. I mean, yes, clearly he's a man who is not... Uh, in any way a straightforward personality for politics, but that's a lot to do with why he has been very popular Uh, and and it it goes to the heart of his charisma. I think he was supposed to be the non-politician's politician. Now, to a certain extent, if you elect somebody like that, uh, you don't expect them to be a brilliant executive, if you like. What seems to have gone wrong... And and for people like me, I I was always... um, if you like, quite a tentative supporter of Boris Johnson. I thought he was absolutely essential for getting Brexit done. Uh, But I did have some concerns about his leadership. However, I was reassured by people who were close to him when he was the mayor of London. But as long as he had the right team around him, the fact that he may be a bit of a dilettante uh, would have been an, overcome by the fact that he had this sort of strong supportive structure around him. Now, that seems to just not have been there right from the start of his period in Number 10. And so far as it was, we saw, you know, really early on in his leadership, very senior mm. advisers leaving Number 10. Mm. And that has not helped him.
0: Uh, Tim Bell, Joanne Nadley used the word charisma there. Uh, some would say entitlement might be a word, better word to describe uh, Boris Johnson. What are your thoughts?
2: Well, there's no doubt that he had a certain appeal for um, a lot of people, and he won the 2019 election precisely because he appealed to the right people at the right time. It has to be said that if you actually look at Boris Johnson's polling, he was never that popular right across the country, but he was popular where it mattered um, among the electoral coalition that uh, he managed to build in 2019, particularly in the North and the Midlands in Uh, seats that had often voted Labour before but switched to the Conservatives. Um, I think the problem for him, of course, uh, came when those voters uh, began to tire of uh, him, particularly over Partygate, I think, um, but also, of course, he, like the government as a whole, has taken a big hit uh, over the economy. Uh, we shouldn't get so fixated on the personality of Boris Johnson to think that the problems of the Conservative Party, or indeed his problems, are all to do with any flaws in his personality. They're also to do with a very difficult um, situation the government is facing when it comes to inflation and indeed a, a possible recession. So, uh, yes, Boris Johnson, a charismatic politician, no, Boris Johnson um, didn't always appeal to absolutely everybody in this country. He appealed to the people that the Conservative Party needed him to appeal to uh, back in 2019. But once uh, his reputation among them began to uh, fade, I think it was almost inevitable that his his uh, party, which was always rather ambivalent about him, mm-hmm. uh, would, as Matthew suggested, turn on him
0: uh, and look for an alternative. Uh, Matthew Goodwin, it's almost impossible, and and Tim mentioned it there, Um, he does have a force of personality. He has a very strong personality. It's almost impossible to try and divorce that from his role as the leader of the Conservative Party and Prime Minister. His personality, almost the reason then for his downfall?
3: Yeah, I mean, Boris Johnson really only has uh, himself to blame for his downfall. He made a number of unforced errors during his premiership. He surrounded himself with... I think people that that didn't bring out the best um, in in his government in in his administration. He made a number of errors during uh, the pandemic. Uh, he never really defined key policy planks like levelling up the country. Um, the he failed to take advantage of Brexit. His economic strategy was uh, at best confused, at worst, openly contradictory, and he fell out with many influential people within his own party. And I think it's clear to everybody um, today that he really was unsuited for high office. But there's an open question here going forward, which is, we're about to find the answer to, which is which other Conservative can actually hold together the alliance of voters that Boris Johnson... Mobilized in 2019. Now, it might be the case that somebody is going to emerge who can do that. But it might also be the case that actually only somebody with the kind of charisma that Johnson had, or before him, Nigel Farage, um, was able to reach into those so called Red Wall industrial working class seats that Tim uh, mentioned. And we don't really know. And if the Conservative Party cannot hold that alliance together, It's very difficult, if not impossible, to see how the Conservatives win the next election, which is less than two years away.
0: Actually, that's a question that I was about to ask all three of you, so thank you for bringing it up. Uh, Let me start with you, Matthew Goodwin. We'll we'll start with you as you brought the question up. It's not a failure of Boris Johnson-ism. This is simply a failure of Boris Johnson. Is that right?
3: Well, Boris Johnson was never an ism. I mean, if you compare Johnson to, you know... Tony Blair or Margaret Thatcher or some of the other great transformative prime ministers in British history. Johnson had no coherent agenda. He had no serious thinkers around him. He had no intellectual framework for what his allies call the project. Uh, that project was essentially Boris Johnson, the man, and a few policies attached to him. And that really explains, you know, how quickly it all came crashing down and, and why it came crashing down. You know, there was no coherent long-term plan in place even in the last hours of the crisis he was lurching around trying to find tax cuts and mm. policies that he could offer right. people and so that, that's really how it all how it all came down and uh, i think now the conservative party are going to have to ask themselves a very serious question which is what kind of party do they want to be in the midst of the most serious cost of living crisis this country has faced for 50 years and that that question is a really difficult one uh, Tim, know, Bell, to answer
0: Tim Bell, the same question to you. Is this a failure of Boris Johnson? Uh, oh, and was there indeed even a Boris Johnsonism?
2: No, I think Matt's absolutely right about that. I mean, there was never a kind of coherence to uh, Boris Johnson's ideology. I mean, I think, you know, he's a bog standard conservative in the sense that he wanted low taxes, he wanted a smaller state, uh, and he wanted to keep public spending under control. His problem, of course, was that the, the pandemic and indeed what the Conservatives had promised the electorate in 2019 didn't really allow um, for that. And, and going forward, I think that's absolutely right. The Conservatives have got a real issue here because what it will take to win over the Conservative Party in Parliament and indeed the Conservative Party members... Uh, may not be what uh, voters as a whole, and particularly those voters who form part of that electoral coalition that we've been talking about, um, would favour. It's all very well, I think, to talk about tax cuts. Most people favour tax cuts, although an economist might argue they're not, in fact, the solution when when you're uh, facing an inflationary spike. But, of course, once people... Um, start talking as they have begun. Suella Braverman, for example, one of the people who've thrown their hat... Sorry, Tim, we are ready. running.
0: Sorry, um, Tim, we are running out of time, and I do want to get to everybody, and I have a couple more questions, Joe. Very quickly, um, a bog standard yeah. conservative is what Tim Bell just used to describe Boris Johnson. Do you agree with that?
1: Well, to the extent that being a conservative doesn't in itself infer a specific ideology, I mean, both the two main parties in Britain, bolstered by our particular electoral system, are big coalitions. There are conservatives who believe in a in a, in a small state uh, and c- cutting taxes. There are those who who want to you know spend quite a lot of money and um, particularly with the levelling up agenda. Um, and that's just looking at the at the sort of financial agenda. Uh, I mean, I think that he successfully sat sort of somewhere in the middle of all of those things. And, and perhaps one of his uh, the reasons for his earlier success was that people couldn't quite pin him down they didn't really know was he a libertarian was he a liberal was he a social conservative right. and i mean he, and he's rather kind of wandered around between all of those polarities and i think that that goes to the heart of why we haven't had a coherent and consistent uh, policy agenda
0: Politics has often been described as sports for unfit people, um, which has always made me laugh. But, you know, let's take the sporting metaphor here. I'll begin with you, Jo. Uh, If you're a betting woman, who would you be putting your your money on now uh, as the next leader of the Conservative Party? Uh,
1: Nadine Zahawi. I think that often when you look at Conservative leadership elections, it's not the most obvious candidate, somebody who's... Able to sort of pull these different factions together is the person that that emerges. Um, I I think that he has has the benefit of having been in favour of Brexit, uh, but he has a very conciliatory sort of personality. And of course, now he holds a a major, uh, one of the most major offices, if not after the Prime Minister, he has the most important job in government. So it'd be interesting to see how he. Uh, dispatches that over the next few weeks. But, I mean, there will be very many runners and riders, so it's quite uh, early to make
0: that call. Uh, it might be quite early, Tim, but I'm going to ask you anyway. I think it partly depends on who goes through to the
2: membership balance. I think if um, MPs can't uh, unite to stop Liz Truss going through, then she has a, a reasonably good chance because she is quite popular among the membership. I wouldn't altogether either rule out Sajid Javid or uh, Rishi Sunak. Sajid Javid has done most of the big jobs, actually, in government uh, and has uh, proved himself a, pair, a fairly safe pair of hands. Uh, Rishi Sunak was once popular. He might be able to recover that popularity.
0: And uh, what about you, Matthew?
3: I think um, I'm going to watch closely over the next few days to see what ideas and, and thoughts they they come out with. I see strengths and weaknesses with all of them. I mean, if you take, for example, Rishi Sunak, you know, a lot of conservative activists would argue, you know, why should they make leader somebody who presided over the biggest tax burden since the 1950s? You look at Sajid Javid, people might say, well, you know, they don't rate his, what they would see as his disloyalty. You look at the Deem Zahawi, I think conservative activists, again, as Tim says, when it goes to the membership, they might not take well to to him turning on the, the prime minister, who does remain quite popular among the grassroots. And I think it's, I'm not exactly sure who is going to emerge, but I think the what question, which is the what is the type Mm. of post Brexit conservatism that's going to emerge, you know, what's the growth strategy? What's the productivity strategy? What's the what's what they're going to do on inflation? What are they going to do on Brexit and trade agreements with the rest of the world? You know, these are massive issues. And I can't think of a prime minister, maybe with the exception of Margaret Thatcher in 79, who had such a daunting in trade coming into power. I mean, these are huge issues, all of them. Um, So whoever gets the job, it is in some respects a poison chalice.
0: Uh, A poison chalice uh, that somebody has to take on at some point. Uh, I want to thank all our guests, Joanne Nadler, Tim Bell and Matthew Goodwin. That's it for the Inside Story podcast. The episode was produced by Mohamed Elishi, Osama Aloni, Abbas Asim, Asaiba Marizayeva and Gemma Harris. Studio Sound was by Sasha Andreevich. And the programme was edited by Vishnu Sheila, Lin Enwin and Jodie Fritz. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again on Friday. Hey, guys. Sami Zaydan here from Essential Middle East Podcast. This week's episode... It is heavy, but it is really important too. It's about that trove of documents and photos that shows China's targeting of Uyghur Muslims. So please like and subscribe and catch this episode wherever you listen to podcasts.